friends, welcome to Womankind. This is your host, Kelsey Novitz. I'm here in episode 35. I'm here with Mary Auden, my first guest of season two. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. <laughs> so we are going to talk about a lot of things today, but the primary thing we're going to talk about is gaming, because Mary is a self-identified gamer. Um, she also is a consultant for an ed tech company, and she is going to be an adjunct professor um, at a local college this fall as well. So she wears a lot of hats, um, but we're going to start by talking about gaming. So, Mary, you said you I, you identify yourself as yeah. a gamer, so tell us a little bit about what that means. So I self-identify as a gamer, and I choose those words very carefully because I think the gaming community is very vast uh, in the same way that you can say, oh, you know, I love books. I'm a, I'm a real big, or I'm a big movie fan. Um, to be a fan of gaming or to be a gamer doesn't mean you play all the games. Um, it may mean that you are a big fan or a big player of a specific set of games or a type of game. Um, or it could mean you play all of them. It could mean a lot of things. Um, and it also varies in the which, in which, it also varies the degree to which you play them. Mm -hmm. So there's this ongoing debate of uh, hardcore versus casual gamers, and what does that mean? Then what is your like, game or collection of games of choice? Then? Right. Where, <laughs> what games do I play and why I call myself a gamer? So I personally am a big uh, fan of the Blizzard uh, family of games, so World of Warcraft, uh, Heroes of the Storm, StarCraft. Uh, I'm also uh, a big fan of Super Smash Brothers, which has been had a huge impact in my life. Not even kidding. I want to hear that story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from childhood to full-on adulthood. Um, but I've also been a player of games since I was very little. So uh, from the time I was born, my family was lucky enough that uh, we... I've always had a computer in our house. So I was born uh, in 87 and we had an Apple II and there were games on that Apple II that we played in the house. Uh, I have an older brother who's also uh, very much a gamer uh, and even went and got his degree in gaming. So I just feel as though playing games has always been sort of a binder in my house and in a lot of my most important relationships. But uh, now even as an adult uh, I find I feel as though I'm a sort of an ambassador in the gaming community because I don't think if you were to look at me you would think that person definitely plays video games and is a gamer. Uh, I think gamer sort of comes with its, its own stereotypes and misconceptions and one of my favorite things is breaking those misconceptions and being not at all what you expect, uh, being uh, female and being, you know, in my prime, uh, <laughs> pretty good at what I did. Uh, for your listeners who even know what this means, I was a raid leader, and I was a shout, uh, sorry, um, I want to say caster, but I was not a caster, I was a shot caller, there it is. I was a shot caller on an amateur Heroes of the Storm team, so I think of myself as someone that's pretty competent in organizing and being effective at cooperative gaming. So that sounds really important. What does a shot caller do? Do they call the shots? That's you, you nailed it. So, uh, and it was something I really enjoyed doing, although, admittedly, uh, I was not necessarily the best at it, but I enjoyed doing it, and the group of women that I played with um, seemed to, they seemed to like it. So mm -hmm. they, I offered many times if anyone else would like to do it, or mm -hmm. But they, they seem to stick with me, and I always really appreciated that. Um, basically, a shot caller is uh, when you're playing a MOBA game, um, or rather, uh, oh, what does MOBA stand for? Now I've never even heard that term, so. <laughs> um, MOBA. Google yeah. it. Look it up, everybody. Yeah, a MOBA game. So, uh, essentially, uh, in this game, you have a team of people, and your mm -hmm. objective is to uh, get to the other side of the map, uh, destroy any objectives mm -hmm. or claim any objectives on your way there and destroy the home base of the opposing team. Okay. Uh, in the MOBA that I played, Heroes of the Storm, it was a team of five, so five on five, mm -hmm. and they you play a character that has a lot of different uh, abilities, but essentially they break down mm -hmm. into, we'll say, three different roles. Uh, essentially, your, your tank or the person that takes the most damage and controls mm -hmm. uh, the pace of the engagement, 
you'll have three uh, damage dealers where their mm -hmm. primary role is to do damage, and then you'll have a fourth, or sorry, a fifth person who is a, a healer. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, depending on the game and depending on the makeup, you know, that, that varies mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, I liken it, honestly, to basketball um, mm -hmm. or soccer, where you have a limited number of people on the field that, depending on where they are in the map, they're playing offense or playing defense and adjusting their strategy accordingly mm -hmm. to, to meet the objective. Um, I loved playing Heroes of the Storm. I was, uh, I was the support player or the healer uh, in that role, as well as the shop caller. So that person makes real-time decisions about mm -hmm. what we're going to be doing in the moment and adjusts uh, in the game itself. So there, there are some elements to it that are like similar to Dungeons and Dragons. You're oh, just like yeah. not playing face to face, like right. So you have, so you, you're, you were basically the dungeon master uh, essentially. Which, as a side note, I've also been a dungeon master uh, in our uh, brief stint playing Dungeons and Dragons. So really, the so whole maybe, nerd gamut over here. <laughs> so maybe you just naturally fall into the leadership role in these situations. You know, I, I think that I oftentimes do because. I've always, I've never been afraid to speak up. Mm -hmm. um, I've always kind of gravitated to that leadership role. I won't say that I've always been the best choice for it or that I'm like <laughs> the best person at, uh, at it. But one thing I've noticed kind of tying this back to women is that there's this idea that women are, like this, I call this benevolent sexism, that we are just naturally more like cooperative mm -hmm. and peace loving and like whatever you want to do is, is fine with me. Uh, and while perhaps that there's a kernel of truth to that, even then I, I think that's more culturally uh, mm -hmm. designed than anything natural, I, I am living proof that I am mm -hmm. not necessarily the kind to just do what everybody else feels like doing. If, mm -hmm. if, if action needs to be taken or mm -hmm. if we need someone to take a leadership role, I'm happy to do it. And <laughs> I, if, if no one else is willing to step up, I'm happy to be the voice mm -hmm. Um, that makes decisions. I'm definitely a, a, an action-oriented person. My friends and family will definitely say I, I'm a doer. Uh, <laughs> and so when the opportunity presents itself, I take it with gusto. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy that. And so as a gamer, it's, it's, it's becoming more common to see women in sort of those quasi-leadership roles, mm -hmm. so shop callers or raid leaders or dungeon masters. Um, and I, I'm happy to say that I see more and more women taking mm -hmm. up the mantle happily um, and without, you know, fanfare. It just mm -hmm. sort of becomes a natural fit. Mm -hmm. But I do think that that is a relatively recent situation. Mm -hmm. um, and there are weird occasions now where I will be playing World of Warcraft and I'll get into a, a pug, uh, a pickup group, mm -hmm. where I don't know the people that I'm playing with uh, and I it is revealed over the course of time that I am a woman. You can hear it in my voice. Uh, and on occasion, I'll still get the what? Or the... Oh, wow. Or the... Like... like shock. Shock that turns into some sort of, like, terrible, you know, um, going to sandwich, like, <laughs> jokes that are really disheartening, but also pathetically, like, unoriginal. So it's, do I make the decision to, like, engage that, or do I just not engage. Um, but like I said, that is becoming more and more rare in my experience. Oh, that's good. But you do run into it on, on occasion. Um, so I want to talk about, well, I want to talk about what you just said, but I also want to talk about how you ended up on an all-female team. Yeah. If that's the case, if you're, you know, going into, like, pickup games and finding, you know, people, I'm sure, of all different walks of life, but how did you end up on this team with all women? So I sought them out. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's a, that's a really good question. I was uh, quasi-recruited. I can't remember if I heard about it or someone told me about it. Uh, a team that was being organized uh, by, uh, I'm forgetting her name now, <laughs> but basically an all-female team to play Heroes of the Storm and to play other uh, World of War or other Blizzard games, including World of Warcraft, including I think Diablo and Starcraft. And I was definitely intrigued because, um, as a woman, uh, I like to do things that promote uh, female empowerment, particularly in uh, areas of society where females are underrepresented or women are underrepresented. 
And one of the ways you can do that are, is to be in an all-female space. Now, I've definitely got some pushback um, about being uh, associated with an all-women's uh, Heroes of the Storm team because the uh, natural counterpoint is, well, if women want to be seen as equal, shouldn't they, you shouldn't be in an all-female team, you should be playing with everybody else equally. And I, I say yes and. Mm -hmm. So I think that it is appropriate. There's no reason in my mind to have like segregated gaming communities because that you can't even question the physicality of it. That has been equalized by the wonderfulness of video games. Um, but, you know, I when I was in graduate school, this is a bit of a tangent, when I was in graduate school I did a little bit of research and work on the impact of uh, having essentially uh, safe spaces for minority students on a college campus and primarily white uh, college campuses having these sort of uh, black student union or uh, the Panhellenic uh, organizations where it really uh, became a safe space for minority students and what kind of an impact that had on the members of that group particularly in primarily white organizations and they found that having sort of this safe space on, on this campus acted like a recharging mechanism, um, particularly when they were the minority on a campus, um, and how valuable those spaces were for uh, those underrepresented communities to find strength and, to, like I said, to recharge and to find resources that were specific to their situation, um, and ultimately led to better outcomes for those students. Uh, and so I basically took that concept and I can apply it to women in gaming. I think that while women in gaming uh, are is increasing um, and it's becoming more and more common, I still think there are a lot of games and a lot of communities within the gaming community where having sort of like an all-female group to play with and to recharge kind of gives you the strength and the support to go back out into mm -hmm. the maybe not as diverse world uh, so that you can have that strength to be an ambassador, which is how I see myself. Mm -hmm. So uh, this all-female team that I played with, I, I should also put a note uh, that it was an amateur team. It's not like uh, we competed at anything other than what is essentially the equivalent of intramurals. <laughs> um, I... This all-female team really helped me feel more confident in my ability to lead a team, even though, again, we didn't get very far. But it also was just nice to find like-minded women, and I'm still friends with these women, um, and I'm friends with the men that we also, uh, you know, met along the way, so it wasn't an only female situation, just the team itself was, was all-female. Um, it was a really fun experience. It was also when I started to, to consider getting into the Twitch or YouTube, you know, gaming YouTube community where you broadcast you playing a game and interacting with your audience. Um, so I even had like a Twitch site set up and I bought a webcam and I was going to have like a regular schedule. Uh, and I got a small taste of what it's like to be a woman putting themselves out there in the internet universe, and uh, more power to women that do that because it is uh, very stressful, and it's a lot, uh, it can be a scary place because you're definitely a target for more harassments. Um, I ultimately didn't do it just because I wanted to focus, I realized how much of my time that it would take, uh, and I still have a nine to five, and I still have other things that I ended up wanting to pursue, uh, but it was an interesting experience to have. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, more power to women that do put themselves out there in, in an online space because it's a scary, it can be mm -hmm. a scary place out there. So the trolls came for you, is uh, what you're saying. <laughs> you know, luckily I wasn't popular enough that they didn't hit me too hard, mm -hmm. um, but even me just saying that, mm -hmm. like, I know they're out there. Right. Um, and... But I think that's another reason why I wanted to talk about gaming, because yes, they're out there, but then there's also people like me that are out there, and people like the women I played with, and not terrible men <laughs> uh, out there. 
that you can play with. Mm-hmm. And so again, when I talk about being an ambassador, I basically I want to say I want to expand the definition of, of a gamer rather than narrow it because you can get into arguments about, well, you're not really a gamer because you don't play X number of times uh, a week and you don't have this level of achievement in you haven't killed these many bosses on Mythic++, plus plus plus, which probably, again, means nothing, but different, like, <laughs> I, I say that is one kind of gamer. And another kind of gamer is someone that logs in and plays uh, for the story. Um, because gaming can be more than just about competition. Uh, it's, it's another artistic medium that can express amazing stories and concepts. Uh, so I play those kinds of games. Uh, games that I can think of like that now uh, are the Bioshock games, which are really scary, um, but the message and the story that they tell are like amazing and beautiful and memorable. So if you have any listeners that are like, oh, I don't really know. That's a recommendation. Play any of the Bioshock games, particularly Bioshock Infinite. Uh, as an aside, I am very bad at first-person shooter games. The last first-person shooter game I was good at was GoldenEye uh, on the N64, uh, which, again, maybe means nothing to your <laughs> listeners, but uh, fantastic I've heard games. of that one. I've heard of that one. <laughs> um, I think there was something about when there was a dual uh, thumbstick that got involved that my I was out, I was done. Um, but... Uh, one of the reasons I like Bioshock Infinite is because it's a first-person uh, shooter game that you can kind of adjust your play style to. So I played very much Melee because I have terrible aim, but the story was so amazing. Skyrim is another great open world. I've heard good things about that one. Amazing game um, that tells a great story that you can control. And again, it's not competitive in any way. Um, but then there's also the competitive games like Heroes of the Storm, uh, which... Again, I liken to playing, like, basketball or soccer. Or World of Warcraft, if you do any raiding, um, or PvE, or player versus everyone. Uh, I always likened that to uh, being in, like, an orchestra, uh, where you have a very specific role to play, and to defeat, to, to meet your objective, to defeat the boss, you need to know your part exquisitely well and everyone needs to know their part exquisitely well so that you can execute as a group and if one person fails at their at their role you know then it means nobody succeeds it's it's a very cooperative um element of the game and that was always my favorite part of the game was uh, was that cooperative element so and that's why i say when i think of myself as a gamer i don't play call of duty i you know i I don't play um, Overwatch, even though Overwatch is an amazing game, even though Call of Duty has an amazing element to it. But I still think of myself as a gamer because the games that I do play have had a huge impact in my life and in my relationships uh, and have brought me a lot of joy and 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 have made me reflect on... It's a, a tiny part of the world where just my existence in that sphere, I think, makes a difference. So, yeah. I mean, I liken to it, I liken it to, you know, someone who, like, wants to be an artist or wants to be a writer or something. Like, in those situations, basically what you have to do is make art, and then you're an artist. You have to write, and then you're a writer. So I think for gaming, it applies as well, that if you play games, then you're a gamer. Yeah, I I love that definition (laughs) so much. I, I want people to to think of gaming as, as a legitimate hobby and a legitimate thing that you can do regardless of your gender or your sexuality or your, or your race ethnicity because it's just a beautiful place to meet like-minded people even though I acknowledge it's also a place to meet, meet assholes, <laughs> like real assholes. Um, so, yeah, I... I Gaming means a lot to me, and I think that it has made me, in many ways, who I am. So I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times about relationships. Uh, you may be interested to know, like I said before, uh, I played games with my family members uh, a lot of times on the N64 or PC games, um, and it really helped me bond with my family members. So Age of Empires II is a, was a popular real-time strategy game that I think 
I must have spent hours playing with my brother and my father and feeling connected with them and also learning strategy. And it also has an element of history to it, so I remember learning about different, uh, different uh, civilizations mm -hmm. and wanting to know more about them outside of the game and like doing my own research and investigation. Uh, Super Smash Brothers, popular game that came out. I made friends in my neighborhood when the first Super Smash Brothers came out in N64 in the 90s. And then uh, I met my future now husband uh, over Smash Brothers Melee. And then I competed in uh, a competition at my in my undergrad uh, over Smash Brothers Brawl. So I feel like <laughs> this series of games has given it me just confidence. just pops up again and again yeah, in your life. It's, <laughs> it's connected me to the people that I love. Um, and now and now I play uh, I play World of Warcraft with my my husband on a regular basis and Heroes of the Storm, and it's something that we connect over, we talk about the story, we get excited about the new expansion, which just dropped. Uh, so, for the Horde, in case anyone is out there, uh, you know, Horde forever, even though I'm disappointed with what Sylvanas is doing to our faction. Regardless, <laughs> uh, it's nice to see a woman in power, but it's a shame she's really, uh, she's not using it for the, for the best of intentions. Anyway, that was a geeky aside. That's a nice digression. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think maybe, and I, maybe, I don't know, I'm, gaming is really embedded in our culture in a lot of ways, in a way that I guess I haven't really thought about until we were having this conversation. Like, I mean, I grew up playing, you know, we had a Sega Genesis, and I played <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog, and I remember playing, like, NBA Jam with my family, Great and us game. all, like, repeating <laughs> the things that they would say, mm -hmm. like, boom shakalaka, and, like, a lot of really <laughs> other interesting things, um, and, yeah, just, like, all throughout my childhood playing games on the computer games, on different gaming systems that we had, and, I mean, I haven't done that in a really long time, but, like, you're talking about all these titles that have, like, this really interesting story element to it that yes. I find, like, exciting. Oh, if you haven't played games in a while, they're better than ever. <laughs> um, plus, there's so many great indie games that mm -hmm. you can get that are really, really cheap that you can play on tablets and mm -hmm. phones, and they don't just need to be Candy Crush. Not that there's anything wrong with Candy Crush, but in terms of, like I said, what you get out of a game can be so many things. It can be a way to connect with other people mm -hmm. um, and to build your own sort of leadership skills, as I feel like it's done for me. Um, but it's also a great way to absorb a story mm -hmm. uh, and to, as a jumping off point, to talk about difficult subjects um, and to explore different emotions and create, uh, gain empathy and in a sort of safe way with characters that you might not associate with. I, you had mentioned uh, before the podcast started uh, one of your friends who plays Grand Theft Auto as a pacifist, mm -hmm. which is hilarious. Shout um, out to Jeremy. <laughs> and a wonderful thing. Um, but I even think about when I was playing Grand Theft Auto, you're often in the, in the, in the lives of you know, being a cisgender white woman, like, playing characters that initially seem, like, ruthless and unsavory, but, like, no, they're they're written in such a way that they show such complexity mm -hmm. if you're willing to, like, listen to the story, and I love that. I think that given the right frame of mind or, or in the right hands, a game really creates empathy and creates perspective and tells stories that Again, it's a safe way to tell those stories while at the same time being, you know, entertaining. Mm -hmm. And at the very least, gaming uh, is is a way of teaching both both big concept like I've been talking about, but just like fine motor skills or gamification of education. So using Minecraft to design uh, or tell a story in the classroom. Like there's just so many uses to it that... It's one of the reasons I still think of myself as a gamer, even though I'm not as hardcore as I used to be, so to speak. I just see so many uses for it in society as a, as a gateway to connect and to talk and to learn that 
I guess that's why I still am so passionate about it. Uh, and I want, I want to talk about it. I, I'm on your show right now because I want to talk about <laughs> I'm so glad you are talking about it. The value of gaming. And, and as a woman, I like being a part of breaking down those, well, game, being a gamer means you're some angry white dude in a basement. Uh, and, and that's the stereotype. That that's is absolutely the stereotype. the stereotype. When I tell my colleagues, um, I have a student affairs background, a higher education background. When it eventually comes out that I, I identify as a gamer, I think a lot of my colleagues are like, oh, why, why do you do that? And I do that because it's amazing. It's a beautiful world out there. And if I can start to expand just by my mere existence in that community, if I can expand people's idea of what that means and get them intrigued, then I feel like I'm doing a service to my community, even if I'm not the best player or the gamiest gamer you've ever did saw. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm still someone that I think you can say, wow, I didn't realize that gamers could also be, you know, working professionals that are kind and empathetic, although I'm definitely patting myself on the back there. When I, <laughs> I think both of those things are true. <laughs> or at least I try really hard. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I guess there are a lot of stereotypes that we um, as a society kind of perceive about gamers, and, you know, there is a lot of value to teaching people how to be empathetic and to be engrossed in that type of story, and I think maybe they're undervalued and people don't necessarily see... You know, because the, the thing is, like, what do, what do they always have moms say on TV about people? Like, video games are going to rot your brain. And, yeah. Um, um, but there's just so much going on under the surface that you don't see, necessarily. Right. And, you know, like anything, too much of anything is right. bad for you. Right. <laughs> Literally too much of anything is bad for you. <laughs> but um, I think that there is this fear of screen time. That's what I... The word... <laughs> That phrase, screen time, was in my head. I was like, you were saying that. And I think that's, the, that's like being, I'm afraid that my kid reads too much. Like, well, I, I suppose if they're reading, like, terrible manifestos, like, that's something to be concerned yeah. about, I suppose. But thinking about what your, and I don't even, I hate even talking about kids. If your kid is doing this, because it's an adult <laughs> thing now. Like, my mm -hmm. whole generation, uh, I, the people that I play video games with are in their 20s and mm -hmm. 30s, and yeah, there are also kids playing, but now it's it's becoming more mainstream. It's there's Be less concerned that somebody is looking at their screen. Be concerned what they're looking at mm -hmm. on their screen. That's a good point. Um, because this, it's just a medium. It's just mm -hmm. another... Communication right. device. Uh, and I mean, there could be an issue, like, because I've seen, you know, I've I've taught high school for a long time, and I've spent time in middle schools as well. Um, you know, if you have a kid who's buried in a book and is never looking at anyone and never engaging with the people around them, that's definitely an issue. Mm -hmm. And the same could be a video game. If you have your head buried in the video game and you're missing out on other things in life that are going on around you, then... That's a problem, but that right. thing could be anything. It could be... Absolutely. It doesn't have to be a video game. But I've also just realized, I'm having so many revelations, <laughs> that our generation, or people like our age, we were the first people to grow up with access to video games. True. So that definitely, you know, leaves a lot to, like, study and a lot to consider. Like, generations before us were adults by the time they had access to them. And we've yeah. had them since the time we were born. Yeah, like I said, <laughs> Apple II, yep. sitting at home in the living room when I came home, uh, as that's been my whole life. Uh, and I, I'm thrilled about it. Like, I, I, again, I suppose, could it be bad? Yeah. But, like, anything could be bad <laughs> anything could be in bad. excess. <laughs> and I, I think that for many people, I was just hearing someone... I can't remember who it was, was telling me, oh, kids today, you know, they don't have these, they're not talking to one another anymore, and they're just buried in the screen, and can that be an issue? Yes, but then there's also so many people who have access to other people like them that they didn't have access to before. So the idea of what is normal is, is growing, it's mm -hmm. expanding, and I think that's a wonderful thing. Like, again, I, 
being a gamer is about expanding that definition and adding more people into your social construct of what is the in-group. Mm -hmm. You know, people, human beings, like having an in-group and an out-group. And I am not interested in getting into the in-group. I am interested in expanding, expanding the, the in-group, the circle, to include <laughs> more and more people as to what a gamer could be. I love that. I think I might steal that visual for this podcast and my definition of what womanhood is. Because I feel like each person that is in an episode joins the circle and adds more to the definition. Well, so. I would be honored. I'm sure I stole it from somebody, <laughs> but please continue We're sharing on. ideas. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful sentiment. So I think we've touched on a lot of issues that women face in the gaming world. Is there anything else you can think of that we didn't talk about? Um, I think I touched on this just a little bit, that mm -hmm. women often are the targets of additional mm -hmm. harassment online, mm -hmm. but that's... It's an online thing, so games are online, ergo, mm -hmm. women often become uh, harassed a lot more. Um, there's also assumption, uh, there's just a general assumption when I play that I am male. Like, and there are, when I play and pick up games, it's, hey boys, how we doing? Or let's all not be mm -hmm. chicks about this. <laughs> um, which is sort of like, You're yeah. like, hi. <laughs> yeah, hi, so I am, and I'm also crushing you. <laughs> But in all seriousness, it's, I, I think that that is something I do, I am concerned about. And I think, and as much as I hate the slow process of this, the way that you stop that isn't necessarily, one, it's not being silent, mm -hmm. um, even though I respect people that choose to be silent, because sometimes you get in a toxic group and you're just like, these are terrible people saying mm -hmm. terrible things, so... Obviously, as your safety is your number one priority, but more than anything, it's just being. It's just existing and saying, mm -hmm. actually, I am, mm -hmm. I am female, or um, I am what you don't expect it to be, mm -hmm. and not even going anywhere beyond that necessarily. Right. Just, it doesn't have to turn into a thing. Yeah. It's just it's, showing, basically showing what you can do. Yeah. Just existing in that mm -hmm. sphere. Mm -hmm. uh, and continuing to exist mm -hmm. unapologetically in that sphere. Mm -hmm. uh, props to activists that go out of their way to write pieces or to advocate mm -hmm. or to really push back. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, just existing in that space mm -hmm. is powerful because it means it means you exist. It mm -hmm. means the, the world is wider than the stereotype, and mm -hmm. that's... If you can show your existence to all of the quote-unquote haters out there, to all of the trolls, you know, they're always, they're not always going to be trolls. A lot of times trolls are just really deeply unhappy people that take pleasure in making others suffer. And it's terrible, and there's so much you could say about that. But just yeah. And there are always going to be people like that. Just there will. Always. It's terrible. It is. The best thing you can do is just be a positive existence. Just mm -hmm. be... It just exists, which, which sounds kind of hackneyed, but here you I am you're in, doing here your thing. Existing. Yeah. yeah, despite the haters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're about ready to focus on the, the woman-centric oh, questions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, by all means, if you have more to say about gaming in relation to these questions, please do. Um, well, actually, no, I want to talk a little bit about... Well, I don't know. We can get into, like, your, like, career stuff as we get through the questions, sure. right? Okay. All right. So, Mary, I want to hear a little bit more about your life, basically. Where did you come from? Who are you? And, I mean, we heard about your gaming with your family as a child, but what else is there? Um, so much is there. <laughs> um, so I was born... Uh, I was born a military brat. Really? Uh, so Air Force brat. Um, I was... Uh, born into what I would consider a very libertarian family, mm -hmm. uh, and we moved around a lot. Uh, I lived overseas um, in Germany. Uh, I was born in Japan, but I've also lived in a number of different states. Uh, and then when I went to college, I definitely, the apple flew far from the tree. I would say that I'm definitely more left-leaning than my family, but, you know, we love each other. Um, and 
I got my uh, undergrad degree in psychology and I went on, to, when I graduated, uh, I thought that I was going to become a professor, I was going to get a PhD, because I was really good at school and it was going to be easy, but it was also 2009 and it was a recession. Uh, Wasn't so, that a great time to graduate? <laughs> so great, guys. Um, so even though I did very well in school and my advisors all told me that I would be a shoe-in, uh, I didn't get in anywhere and I had to go get a real job. So I uh, worked in customer service for an electric company. Uh, and then I ended up getting my master's in higher education and student affairs with a focus in assessment because I had done all this research as an undergrad. And apparently everyone is terrified of assessment in higher ed. Uh, it's In some circles, it's just terrifying. In other circles, it's a dirty word, but I loved it. Uh, <laughs> and so there's nothing better than being really good at a thing that nobody else wants to do. Mm -hmm. So uh, that led me to um, a position at an educational technology company. Um, they make products to help colleges and universities collect and analyze and make sense of uh, vast quantities of data. And my role there is... Uh, as a consultant and a trainer, and I love it. Uh, truly, I do. Uh, I love that it is technology-focused. As someone who grew up with technology, I knew I wanted to stay with technology, but as also as someone that likes to teach and is interested in education, I couldn't quite get into higher ed until very re or uh, I, I didn't until very recently become a faculty member. Uh, but I did a lot of work on the student affairs side, so I liked working with higher education, and I couldn't imagine a better place to work that is both technology-focused, but uh, with the benevolent goal of improving higher ed, uh, which I feel like pretty much describes me in a nutshell, mm -hmm. at least professionally, is I love uh, working with and now for higher ed, um, but I think technology is just an amazing tool to make our lives easier and has so much potential to improve our lives uh, that I just want to stay connected as much as I can, mm -hmm. both professionally, academically, and recreationally. <laughs> um, and that's what you're doing. And that's what I'm doing. And I didn't think that I would be here, um, but here I am. Here what, you are. What a beautiful <laughs> thing. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I guess I can't imagine... I can't imagine where I'm going to be in five years, and I mm -hmm. feel like I'm okay with that. Definitely uh, undergraduate Mary would not have been okay with that, uh, and I imagine uh, my family would love for me to have a five-year plan, and I just don't, because who, who knows where I'm going to be and what I'm going to do, and leaving it open to possibilities is a beautiful thing. I like that. I think that's something that comes with age, that comfort yes. and the uncertainty, because I remember after I graduated from undergrad, that was a very difficult time. <laughs> the uncertainty. Absolutely. Uh, and, again, I like, just to tie it back into gaming, I love talking to my gamer friends about what I do, because I think that, in many senses, that is such a... That can be such a cutthroat place to be. People mm -hmm. are kind of cruel to one another on occasion. Um, and student affairs is such a empathetic, warm, like, everyone get along, hold hands, like, let's talk about our feelings place. And so when I come from that realm to gaming, people are like, really? That's, where you, that's what you do for a living? And I say, I sure do. <laughs> let's sing about it. Uh, and then when I talk to my professional colleagues, they're like, you're you play video games? Aren't you a little old for that? And I'm like, absolutely not. Let me tell you about some of the reflections I've had with this current uh, situation that we're having with the Horde and the Alliance and what does it mean to be a leader <laughs> and what does honor mean? So, I mean, those are some pretty serious <laughs> topics to dive into. Yeah, very academic. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, so I'm, I, I guess I'm this weird, geeky, academic hand-holdy kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> in a nutshell, in a nutshell, I guess. So in your experiences with, like, higher ed, um, did gender kind of come into play at all as you were going through that experience, or...? Yeah, not? I would okay. say that it definitely did. Mm -hmm. um, I think that... Not, this is not I think. I know that there are more <laughs> women uh, in, the, in the student affairs position mm -hmm. than there are men. 
Uh, I think that because we have this benevolent stereotype that we are somehow more empathetic and more caring and more attuned with one another, mm -hmm. that that is a natural mm -hmm. uh, place for us. Um, and if you also think about the history of higher education in America, where faculty are, you know, these experts and the only people that could be experts back in the day were men, but you also needed somebody to be like the en loco parenti, so the, the, the people taking care of the students, where that's like, that's our mm -hmm. feminine role. I think you still sort of see the vestiges of that uh, in higher ed. I will also tell you that as an undergraduate, my initial interest was uh, in doing uh, physio uh, psychology, uh, physiological psychology, and I was told that, well, that's something that a lot of men are going to do. You're not going to see a lot of women in there, so be prepared for that. And it kind of a, maybe you don't want to do that sort of tone. And I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, okay. But now I'm like, I want to like slap the, <laughs> the advisor and slap myself and say, don't even listen to that guy. Like, do what you want, girl. Yeah, really. Um, what terrible advice. I know. I, I, I imagine it came from a, from a place of like, it's going to be really hard. Are you up to mm -hmm. it? And I went, yeah, I had a really good GPA, man. I bring it. Also, have you met me? <laughs> Regardless, um, I, I do think that there is sort of that gender gap still. I would say it's getting better, mm -hmm. which is nice. Um, in my current position, I think there are, um, I'm thinking of my fellow consultants and trainers, uh, you know, I think that there is more of a balance now than there were, but when I also think about the developers, the people that actually build our products, there's definitely a gender gap. And with more men than women, but I think that is also, I'm happy to say that like a lot of this is changing and mm -hmm. I think that that comes with just people like in our generation insisting on existing in places where they didn't before. Mm -hmm. Just I like existing. that the advice for this episode is exist. <laughs> <laughs> insist on existing. That should be like a bumper sticker. Insist on existing. But I mean, yeah, that's, if, as long as you're doing your thing, in whatever that thing may be, you know, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and now, so this might not apply in this situation, but I was recently reading about um, how, so like in spaces that were typically like male-dominated spaces, um, there was something that the writer area. Arielle Levy, I don't know if she's the one who came up with this theory, but it's called the loophole woman, where, you know, she used the example of directors. So directing movies was is was a male-dominated field, mm -hmm. and then once in a while there would be, like, this woman that was in that role as well that was doing really well. And so if you said, you know, directing is a male-dominated field, people would say, well, no, no, no. There's this one woman this who one did that, woman. who is, like, proof that you can do this, too. Right. And so the commentary that she had about that, like, token woman was that usually the way that woman behaved or the way that woman, like, accessed that position was by behaving like a man or trying to, you know, do things, quote-unquote, like a man. Yep. So is that something that you've seen in, like, the tech world or the gaming yep. world? Sure have. Oh, boy. Um, uh... <laughs> Well, and there's been, I don't want to quote specific studies because I, mm -hmm. one, don't remember w where, but I will tell you I learned this on Hidden Brain, which is a different podcast. Great, <laughs> great podcast. Where that is a great podcast. There's uh, this idea that, or there's this, some evidence to show that when you don't have enough of a particular underrepresented group, you are going to run into this tokenism where, uh, whether it's women, whether it's minority, whether, whatever, uh, they, it is in their best interest to act like the prevailing dominant group, mm -hmm. uh, even at the expense of their own group. And I, you will see That's this, exactly it. That, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. It's, it's in their best interest to basically abandon the things that mm -hmm. are inherent about them in favor of whatever the dominant group is, uh, even if it's almost self-cannibalizing, mm -hmm. which is terrible, and the solution is hire more people like that right. person because then they won't feel obligated. It, it wouldn't be in their best interest to self-cannibalize. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do see that. 
I absolutely see that, as a matter of fact, now that you've mentioned it, when I think about um, the women that I have raided with, or I've gamed with, tend to be, like, the the main, like, really aggressive and, like, take no uh, prisoners sort of attitude that is, mm -hmm. in fact, I've also been in a lot of groups. Um, none that I've stayed in long, the current guild that I'm in is not like this. It's lovely and it's much more balanced. Um, but where you find people, you find women where they are the only woman in that group and they don't want any other women in that group because they've cultivated this, like, I am the woman, like, mm -hmm. and, and they tend to be very aggressive and they tend to, uh, this is purely my experience at this point, uh, but they, they tend to attack other women that are in the group because they have, they have worked so hard to cultivate this image of, like, and whether it's internalized or simply strategic, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, they've worked so hard to be like, I am the, the main lady, the A number one tough gal, uh, <laughs> that anybody else is a threat. Mm -hmm. You know, any other women are a threat. Um, so it's like a territorial thing. Yeah, like it, it sort of is a, protecting a, a protective territorial thing. Interesting. Uh, I have found when I am in groups where it's balanced, there are equal number of men and women or, uh, you know, whatever, however that diversifies out, then there is less, you don't need to be the token. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, you don't need to be anything other than what you are. And that's true, that's true even in, if it's more female and a single male, you, you don't have to adjust, mm -hmm. which is why, I mean, a central tenet of feminism isn't about women, like, overpowering and taking over. It's about equality, equality and equilibrium mm -hmm. and, and the benefit to everyone mm -hmm. in that. Not, this is, does it benefit women? Yup. But it also benefits minorities and women and men and everyone to meet an equilibrium, a homeostasis, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone benefits from it. That's a really good point you brought up. I have, in fact, seen that uh, on occasion. I also wonder and reflect if I have also done that. Just, mm -hmm. again, it's not, it's a human instinct. Right, it's, it's protect, self-protective, self-preservation. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah, I'm sure I've been in a situation where I've oh, definitely. done that. Like, definitely I've done that. I feel like I don't do it as much now because I am more self-aware mm -hmm. and I'm older, uh, but... I mean, it's just good self-preservation. Mm -hmm. That's why we do it. And that's mm -hmm. why the solution isn't, let's hire a few women, um, or let's hire a few minorities. Let's, no, hire lots of different <laughs> types of people. Right. Everyone benefits from that. Definitely. Literally, ideas are better. Uh, problems are solved in more unique ways, which can oftentimes turn into a profit. Like, mm -hmm. just approaching it less from, like, a social justice warrior perspective and more from a dollars and cents perspective everyone benefits from mm -hmm. this. And you're just hearing more voices and more perspectives and appealing to more people. Mm -hmm. Precisely. Also, for the record, I, I self-identify as a social justice druid, not a warrior. <laughs> not my class. <laughs> not why a druid. Uh, you know, just a lot of flexibility. Yeah, you know, okay. you can go tank, DPS, <laughs> range DPS, you know, that sort of thing. More shout-outs to any other WoW players out there. <laughs> I know, like, the basics from, from movies and TV. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what a movie or a TV show where they're playing World of Warcraft and, like, a tiny person is playing in, in the game and they're a very large person. Yes. And then a larger person, person is playing and then is a very tiny person in the game. But I, I can't remember what it was. That that actually exists in our house as a dynamic. Oh. I love, I am, in fact, I do main druid guardian, so I play a bear. Uh, <laughs> love it. It's my very favorite. I love being a tank. Um, my husband, who is 6'2", big guy, uh, has a goblin mage, so he has this, this <laughs> tiny little uh, character that plays, uh, you know, so in the background where he can't get hurt and so I protect him. True to life. Yeah, I guess. true to life. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna get into uh, the the tough questions. Now. Okay, bring it. So, Mary, what does it mean to you to be a woman? 
to me, being a woman, well, it means existing. Existing. <laughs> I know we've, we've kind of driven Hashtag existing. But being a woman, it means, in some ways, many freedoms. So, particularly, we have to be specific. Being a woman who is able-bodied, white, American, uh, and was privileged enough uh, to have to come from a family with money uh, means I have a lot of opportunity. Um, and I have a lot of opportunity to make, to uplift people that don't have the opportunity, to point people uh, to injustices happening, uh, and to embrace, to use my pri privilege and to use my power to be who I want to be. And I am lucky to be a woman here now for everything that is going on in the world. In the scope of human history, there has been no better time to be a woman uh, right now. But conversely, uh, we also live in a world where there are some places where all of the injustices and inhumane things that were happening of the past are still happening. So in many ways, to be a woman now is a wide range of experiences. The, the, the uh, standard deviation of women is just like huge right now uh, if you're looking at a global population which is definitely a rabbit hole sometimes I get down and then I have to remind myself well what does it mean to be a woman right now in my universe it mm -hmm. means embracing uh, embracing all of the cool things that my body can do by virtue of being a woman all of the annoying things that my body doesn't do and that makes me a person, uh, it's what makes a woman is really what you make of it. Just existing in spaces where you've always been allowed to exist and being happy in it or existing in spaces where you weren't necessarily allowed to exist and making an impact just by existing. <laughs> and finding other women because that is really helpful. Women are lucky that we are culturally able to extend our social web, our social uh, support network in a way that a lot of men do not have in our current culture. And so when I say in many ways I'm lucky, that's what I'm thinking about, is that it is not culturally acceptable for men to have the same sort of social connections and uh, means of expression that we often have. Thanks to first, second, and third wave feminism. Mm -hmm. Thanks, mom. <laughs> well, you heard it here first. <laughs> or maybe not first, but yeah, I that's you're right. You're so right that like in this room at this moment, it is great to be a woman. It's delightful. <laughs> but with also acknowledging that, you know, in places far, far away and probably in places not too far away, it right. is not great. Yeah. And trying to use that privilege to make it better Definitely. somehow. Definitely. Saying all of this, thinking to myself, oh, you got to do more. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I know that feeling. Um, so I think you covered what it means to you specifically and in general. You covered both. Um, so we'll get into the next kind of dichotomy here, which is what are your favorite parts of being a woman? And what are your least favorite parts? Favorite parts? Like I said, I have so many opportunities um, by virtue of the luck of the draw of where and when, how I was born. I think about that a lot. Like... So much. Oh man, I am so lucky. And, and just trying to remember mm -hmm. how lucky I am and practice being grateful. Mm -hmm. um, I love that about being a woman. Other things I love uh, is, in theory, <laughs> I have the ability to to like grow another human. It hasn't happened yet, and maybe it won't ever happen, but the theoretically, I think that is like the cool, that is just straight up, let's not talk about like gender and like the socio-cultural, that's amazing! It we is can amazing. make babies! Yes. Wow! <laughs> like, so cool. And so I guess that is not unique to uh, my species, so I think that's really neat. Uh, but then again, I just think the human body is just an amazing thing. The human mind is an amazing thing. So that's not gender specific, I guess. Um, what is great 
ultimately, culturally, I just have a lot of opportunities. What sucks about being a, women, a woman um, is so many assumptions get laid at your feet uh, about what you can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. And for me, everyone deals with what you cannot do. Like, you can't be good at literally insert anything, whatever. Mm -hmm. You're not good at anything uh, because you weren't designed to be, which is all obviously hot nonsense um, and can be empirically disproven. Uh, but also the things that I'm supposed to be good at, I personally find really frustrating. Um, like I'm supposed to be uh, more empathetic or more attuned to the feelings and, and needs of others. Mm -hmm. And those are good things to be, but you are not good at those things by virtue of what Just chromosomes you happen to have. Yes. Right. And in fact, I feel as though, for me personally, I have, have I've had to actively practice and cultivate social awareness and empathy. It is not mm -hmm. something that I feel like I was good at. Um, I remember taking counseling courses as a graduate student, uh, and so many of my peers being like, well, this is obvious stuff. When someone says how they feel, you reflect back at them. And me taking copious notes, like, mm -hmm. oh, these are, like, the, the nonverbal cues that I should give when mm -hmm. someone is suffering or, like, when someone is explaining something to me. And I'm supposed to be good at that. Uh, and when I'm not, it's, it's weighed against me a lot further. So I have also been in positions where my manager has told me, you know, you need to work on being more, you know, collaborative, cooperative, and, and build cohesion in, in the group. And I do feel like that is good advice, generally, mm -hmm. but I think I am held to a much higher, weirder standard because I am a woman. Mm -hmm. Like, you should... Well, Mary, you, you use, seem your, very, use your lady powers yeah, to yeah. connect with You seem very aggressive in this <laughs> meeting. And it's like, well, actually, I asked a question, um, or I thought that this direction was not a good direction mm -hmm. to go in, and so I said that because I mm -hmm. thought that... That would be good feedback. But, you know, I, that, is a, that, is, that is so a first world problem. But that feeling like I have to be a certain way by virtue of my gender is frustrating to me. I'd much rather people just see that I am a person mm -hmm. and that I have strengths that should be used and I have weaknesses that should be addressed and not just assume what those strengths and weaknesses are. Mm -hmm. That's probably, again, because I am so blessed to have been born when and where I am, that is probably the thing I hate the most. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fair thing to hate. <laughs> <laughs> also cramps. Can I yeah. hate? I yeah. hate cramps, too. Yeah. Uh, but other than that. <laughs> other than that, we're good. Um, the change I would like to see for women in the future is a good question. Again, I would like to see more women just embrace who they are and embrace what they like without apologizing without apologizing <laughs> and without fear of of reprisal i think i'm saying that word wrong without fear of punishment or judgment but that also in turn means as a woman as women we need to let women do their thing and that means some women are going to be real bad at stuff that we think women are supposed to be good at and that's cool like don't judge them for that. We are our own worst enemies in many cases. Um, I would like to see women stick up for themselves more, and I'm seeing that happen, so I'm like, great, perfect. Can't complain about that. But also, like I said, just if you like something, pursue it. And be okay with that. And, you know, there's going to be jerks out there that say you shouldn't do whatever it is that you want to do. But do it anyway. Like, find other people that are supportive of that and embrace the weird, the geeky, embrace the unusual, and be good at it anyway. Just, haters gonna hate, you know? <laughs> and, uh, go. What else would I like to see in the world change for women? I would like us to expand our own privilege to women outside of our own borders. And I think about or internally, like you said, there's plenty of suffering happening just within, I'm sure, a few blocks of us. But to stop, to expand the us versus them. There are more women like you and like us 
that can be in our circle of people that we can be supportive of and that can do their own thing than, than, than that are outside of our bubble. Expand that bubble. You can't get around the human instincts to have an us versus them. In many ways, that was a very effective survival skill. Like senses of community allow you to create social networks and rally against a cause. That's a great human instinct that if you take it too far, sucks. So mm -hmm. instead, game your own brain and just include more people into your community, including women that do weird or awesome things. So let yourself do those weird and awesome things. That would be my, my hope for the future. <laughs> Lots of wise words from Mary today. <laughs> um, can I say, I, I struggled with it. Do you have a favorite story of a subversive woman? Mm -hmm. I struggled with it at first, but now I want to talk yeah, about my mom. Yeah, Okay, well, so, yeah. I'll, so then I'll wrap up with my, my story. Okay. So you, yeah, you go ahead. Perfect. Let's so, hear. Uh, I want to shout out to my mom, who is a great What's example. Name? Her name is Jane Fisher. Oh, Jane Fisher. Shout uh, out to you. Shout out to you because you are one of the most subversive women I ever had the pleasure of knowing growing up. Uh, my mother was uh, an officer in the Air Force in the 70s and 80s. Incredible. Uh, and 90s, which is actually super rare. Yeah. She won... Uh, I'm going to see. Oh, okay. <laughs> she got many accolades uh, and awards in her time in the service. She is a pilot. She is um, an a animal lover. She runs our household. She is an amazing woman. She played sports uh, in the 70s in high school, mm -hmm. so she was on the softball team and the basketball team back when I think Title IX was, like, shiny brand new. Yeah, like barely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, I think that oftentimes my mom struggles with... She comes from a family of academics, so her brothers were all... They're all professors. They're all very smart people. Um, and she was more of an athletic, you know... She, was, she is quintessentially a doer, and I get it from her. Mm -hmm. But I, the reason I call her subversive is she was doing things that women weren't doing at her time. She is a she is an unstoppable person, uh, completely indestructible as far as I'm concerned. Um, she was an officer uh, during the Desert Storm, during the first, um, the first war. We were there in Iraq, first Iraqi war. Uh, and she survived, and she, I, she is amazing. And I think growing up, I didn't realize how subversive she was. I thought just like this is what, this is what women are like. They don't get pushed around by boys, and they do whatever they want. Uh, and I am going to be like that. And even though, as an adult, you know, she and I have very different political stances, and she's, uh, she and I may disagree on a lot of things. She is the toughest person I know, unstoppable, doesn't let anything get in her way. And I think if I didn't have that kind of a female role model, I imagine at some point I would have been afraid to do the things that I like because mm -hmm. so I would have had so much cultural pressure to change and, and just adapt. But she's amazing. And I don't think I'd say it enough, but... She's amazing. She's subversive. She does whatever she wants. She, and more people should be like my mom. It sounds like <laughs> she should be a guest on Womankind. I think <laughs> she should be. Yeah, Just throwing it out there. She sounds amazing. Yeah. She's definitely a kick-butt lady. <laughs> That's so cool. I love when people talk about their family members as a story of subversion because I feel like so many fit into that category. I love it. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Um, so my story of subversion today is I'm going to talk about Carly Kloss. Um, we've talked about her on an earlier episode. She is a model, um, but she has, within the past few years, started a coding camp for girls. Um, she founded it in 2015, and just looking this up today, it's available in 25 cities across the country, um, including Buffalo, New York, which is where we are recording right now. Um, and it actually just ended in Buffalo. Um, it ended August 3rd, but um, it's going to be back next year. And it looks like the sign-up window is going to be in the winter and the spring. So if you know um, a young girl who is between the ages of 13 and 18, that would be 
something to sign up for. Um, so it's actually free. It's all scholarship. Um, it's for two weeks, and it's 20 participants per class. It's a very small class. And the students in this program, they learn coding languages for back-end web development. So they learn, like, Ruby and HTML and CSS um, coding in the first year. And then in the subsequent years, they build on that. Um, and so I just thought that was really interesting that, you know, someone that has the kind of influence as Carly Kloss, who reaches, like, so many people, um, she decided to give back. And so I don't know if I even said this from the beginning, that coding camp is called Code with Klossy, which I think is cute. Um, and the reason that this was put on my radar um, was because last week, Gloria Steinem visited the camp in New York City, and so she was posting pictures of it. Um, so if you know any little coders or people who are, or young girls who are interested in this, I would definitely check this out. It would be an incredible opportunity. So that is my story of subversion for today, and that brings us to the end of our episode. So Mary, is there anything else you'd like to add? Just keep existing. Just keep <laughs> existing. That is the advice from this episode. <laughs> thank you well, so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. This is so great. I learned so much about gaming today, and I I don't know, maybe I'll be playing a game sometime soon. Yeah. Come find me on Battle.net. We'll raid together. <laughs> that sounds incredible. All right, well, thank you for listening. Um, if you want to get in touch with Womankind, you can find us at our website at www.womankindpodcast.com. Um, email us at womankindpodcast at gmail.com or look for us on social media at womankindpodcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye, friends.